Welcome to Jesus Politics, where we bring the scriptures to life and leadership today. Good evening and happy Friday. Welcome to week six of our journey through Exodus together. This week we got to look at the, the first two miracles that Moses performed before Pharaoh. God had asked him to do uh, there at the burning bush and repeated several different times. And we finally come into this showdown kind of uh, series of moments. It's not just one big showdown, but it's actually going to be 10 different plagues uh, that occur between uh, Moses and Pharaoh. And that's the people of Egypt and the Hebrew people uh, have to deal with as well. These first two Miracles are significant in the way that Pharaoh responds to them. So if we look to the uh, miracle of the staff turning into a snake, um, Pharaoh responds to that, not with the surprise, shock, and awe that I think Moses was expecting in that moment. And, oh, okay, I guess I do need to let the people go. Um, But he actually responds by bringing his uh, court magicians, his own um, people who are seers and visionaries and sort of the, I guess, Egyptian version of prophets, the the priests of Egypt at that point, um, brings them in and they perform the same thing. They throw down their staves and they become snakes. Then to everybody's surprise, the snake that had been, and at this point it's actually Aaron's staff, swallows up the other snakes as a, uh, a symbol and um, a, a real show of God is superior. These, these people may be able to replicate the things that God is doing, but God is still superior to them. So this just makes uh, Pharaoh angry uh, and he sends him away. I'm not sure why the, the second um, miracle that God asked Moses to do it doesn't show up here with as much significance. He, he was uh, given this ability to put his hand into his cloak and bring it out and make it look diseased and then put it back in and uh, see it looking all better. Um, the, the miracle of the snakes kind of takes up the bulk of what's going on here uh, as well as the, the following miracle. And this next one is where things cease to be just sort of magic trick kind of things and get to be much more serious, much more um, affecting the lives and livelihood of everyone involved there. And so um, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And that's, that's a question that goes back and forth through this showdown. What part is Pharaoh's own stubbornness? and What part is God who's taking some of the credit for hardening Pharaoh's heart so that he won't let the people go? I don't know entirely what what that means in the, the hardening of the heart as far as what God does and what Pharaoh's does in the stubbornness when you're talking about from a leadership, from a political standpoint there for, for Pharaoh and his people in Egypt, uh, letting a huge workforce go or sending them out to go and worship a God that most of them don't even know at that point. So 
for Pharaoh to just say that he had a hard heart and he wouldn't let them go just because of his own personal demeanor, feelings on that matter, I think glosses over a lot of the reality of, of what's going on there. But what we do see in the text is a stubbornness because um, while at first Pharaoh does sort of mention the people and their, their significance to the Egyptian culture as part of the workforce, um, as this goes on, it becomes much more about Pharaoh competing with Moses and this God that Pharaoh doesn't even really believe in. So when he has his magicians throw down their staffs and they become snakes, that's him saying, well, I can do that too. So again, where is this God you keep talking about? I think it's just you, Moses, who's hiding behind your brother Aaron at this point. And, uh, and we're not entirely sure what you're even up to. This next miracle, turning the Nile into blood, Moses comes up as uh, Pharaoh is out there. And if you remember, just the generation back in the, I think it's Exodus chapter 3, um, this may have been a similar place as to where Moses was found um, there in that, that little reed raft as a, a baby by the princess who would have been probably um, this pharaoh's mother. So this could be a, a normal kind of Egyptian bathing kind of place where they're out there getting cleaned up in the fresh water of the Nile. And Moses and Aaron show up and says, look, I'm going to turn this all to blood if you don't let my people go. And they scoff at him again. And so, sure enough, he directs Aaron. Aaron lifts up his hand, and the Nile River turns to blood. And all the fish that are in there die and start floating on top of the water. So if Pharaoh was indeed out there trying to get clean, uh, this is a, a drastic get out of the water quick because you're not clean anymore. It's all turning to blood. And then the, the Egyptian culture, and in most of those Eastern cultures, uh, Middle Eastern cultures in particular, there's a almost a phobia of blood. Um, and it's not just there. We see this all over the world, uh, the sense that if blood is outside of the body, something is wrong. Um, either there's sickness, there's severe injury, and possibly there's death. And getting anywhere near that you could catch whatever it is that caused that death to cause that blood in the first place. So there's a, a sense of here is Pharaoh, uh, the sort of holy one of Egypt, coming to his river to be made clean again. And that river has come become polluted, which then makes him unclean. And then all the water, it's not just the water there in the river itself, but all the water, fresh water that the people of Egypt had also turned to blood. And so this is the point where now it's a sort of national disaster, small nation, um, Nile River Valley, but his kingdom um, is now affected by this, not just himself. This is not just magic tricks. It is disrupting the life of everyone in his kingdom. And so this is where you would expect to see some more negotiation or um, even threats to Moses, you better turn that back right now kind of deal. But instead what he, he does is he calls those same magicians again and says, well, I can do that too. And sure enough, 
uh, by their crafts, they're able to turn the water from the Nile into blood. So the question is, how is that helpful? And Pharaoh, who, who is worshipped as a god and who has that sort of uh, divinely appointed in his own mind, in the mind of the peoples, uh, position and responsibility of taking care of them, one of the biggest ways that you have to take care of your people is to make sure that they have fresh food and water. Without that, the civilization can't survive. And so not only is Pharaoh unable to do that in the presence of this God that Moses keeps talking to him about, but his reaction to, to that is, well, I can do that too, polluting even more water. So that's like us saying, uh, if, if someone were to intentionally do an oil spill, to, to pollute and, and ruin fresh water that, that we use that for us to stand up and say, well, we can dump oil in the water too and make an even bigger mess. Not helpful, not helpful at all. And this is a little bit of a turning point and it's, it's prefaced by God talking about how stubborn Pharaoh is and that God knows he's not gonna let the people go. Um, but there's gonna be a continual hardening of his heart as well. So again, I, I question myself, what part of that is Pharaoh's stubbornness, where not only is he having his heart hardened in a sort of competition against Moses and, and, and this God that Moses keeps talking about, but a stubbornness and reluctantness to even do the job that he's supposed to do as, as the king of the Egyptian people, where he'd rather save face than take care of the people that he's responsible for. I think that that's a character shift that we see here um, in Pharaoh. And, uh, and it shows up as a contrast to how God is listening to and caring for the Hebrew people in this situation. So this, the story ends with them being stuck. No fresh water, they're digging around the banks of the Nile to try to find new fresh water that's not coming from the Nile River itself. Uh, digging for new fresh water when they should have the river right there to take care of them. And it stays that way. It says for a week. So this isn't just a flash in a pan. Um, this is uh, them having to deal with this for a week. Completely upending their livelihoods and turning their lives upside down. I think that, uh, again, this is just the beginning of these series of showdowns between Moses and Pharaoh that are, are really shown to us a little bit more as a showdown between Pharaoh and God, and God proving to Pharaoh that he is God and Pharaoh is not, and Pharaoh being reluctant to uh, even acknowledge that God exists. And so, um, it's, it's all of these different things that are fighting against the pride of Pharaoh and for the people of Egypt and for the Hebrew people. Because again, sometimes we, we can focus in on, oh, this is God against Pharaoh or the Hebrew people against the Egyptian people. But the Hebrew people do not know this God. They've probably heard stories from their forefathers about them, but they don't know this God. They don't know how to worship this God. And Moses is going to deal with that later on in the book of Exodus. And so I think that there is a large degree that these miracles, these 
uh, plagues uh, that are starting to happen are not just for the benefit of the Egyptian people, of God showing off, but they are for the benefit of the Hebrew people, for God showing them who he is. And as, uh, as we begin these plagues, we'll, we'll see that each of them are sort of correlated or connected to one of the deities, one of the, the foreign pagan gods that the Egyptians worshiped. And so this, this initial one um, was the, the god of the Nile that they believe, you know, kept them safe. And, um, and there's, there's a little bit of research that talks about kind of a uh, darker, maybe more evil kind of god that lived in the Nile, like underwater itself. So think, think of crocodiles, something that lives in the water that you don't see that you're terrified of and um, you want to stay away from, especially if you're using the water for bathing, anything where you're getting out in it um, yourself. Uh, large crocodiles are something you want to stay away from. So they have this, um, this mythology around a darker evil river god that causes blood to come in the Nile and is dangerous, pollutes it. So again, I, that makes me think in my mind, crocodile, as it's hunting something, um, especially if it's large, there's going to be large amounts of blood in the water. And when they see that, they're going to know it's danger, get out. It's not safe to be anywhere near that river anymore. Because um, for them and for us today, crocodiles don't have to stay in the water. They can get out. Um, it may not be a crocodile. It may be something else, but danger in the water when they see blood. And that their hope is that Pharaoh sort of being the, the one who takes care of them, makes sure that the, the good uh, Nile River God provides the fresh water, provides the life, the source of life that they need, and keeps the evil river god at bay. And yet, the god of Moses shows up, and, and through Moses says, Pharaoh is not in charge. He doesn't have a, a, a leash on that evil god, and he can't keep the, the good river god strong enough. All of this is in uh, the god of the Hebrew's hand. And so, that's where it's showing the Hebrew people their God is bigger than the gods of Egypt, which means they can trust in him um, and not be uh, overwhelmed by the Egyptian oppression they're dealing with. But at the same time, it means that they need to get their own act together um, because this is, this is not a God that they have paid any tribute to anytime soon. They've cried out for help after several generations, but uh, there's not been any connection with this God beyond that. So that's where we end up this week. Uh, this, this first kind of big miracle, Pharaoh's response, uh, this hardening of, of Pharaoh's heart and God doing part of that and Pharaoh being stubborn himself. Pharaoh neglecting his own duties as leader of the people uh, to save face and to, uh, to show off his ego in these situations and that it just ends up worse for everyone in this. And in the midst of that, we don't have an immediate, oh, okay, God's gonna come back with another hit, with another miracle. Um, God just lets them sit for a week 
and think about it. And so next week we're going to find out what happened next. Thank you for joining us for Jesus Politics and our journey through Exodus this week. This is Tony Franklin. Thank you for joining us for Jesus Politics and our journey through Exodus. See you all next Friday.